With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind this Monday. You have a slightly different lineup today with me, Natasha Michael, joined by Colin Watt and Sean Connolly. Paul John isn't with us today. He is attending the funeral of Frank McGarvey, which has taken place um, this afternoon. Of course, on behalf of everyone here at Axum, our thoughts and prayers are with um, Frank's family and friends at this difficult time. If you're watching live, um, the funeral service will be available to view on YouTube at one o'clock today um, during our broadcast. So keep an eye on Celtic socials for that one. Of course, we'll be continuing with the bulletin here and there's plenty to get through as we look back on this weekend's action. 
preview our midweek game and discuss the various incomings and outgoings and all the associated rumours. Now, guys, apparently it is Blue Monday today, apparently the most depressing day of the year, but I do not buy into that. I've had a good weekend. I'm feeling relatively happy and I think your day can go as well as you want it to. So no need for negativity or a Blue Monday here at Axom. I think we can make it a green Monday as we look back and booking a place in another semi-final. So Colin, I'll, I'll come to you first. How are you on this Green Monday? That's what we're going to call it, Green Monday, right? <laughs> I like it, I prefer it. Let's go with it. Aye, we can, we can call it whatever we want. It's, it's Green Monday. Um, no, I'm, I'm doing good. Um, the hangover from Saturday's finally gone. Um, <laughs> well, I, how can you not love a 5.30 kickoff at Hamden? I mean, it makes it only... Uh, I, I don't love it. Ah, sorry, Sean. <laughs> I apologise, but um, when you're going to the game, certainly um, it helps the the whole walk from the buses and the trains to Hamden. That, honestly, Hamden Park is the worst stadium in Scotland by far um, in terms of public transport. Um, in terms of actually getting to the facilities within the ground, is dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. It's not fit for purpose. So. Having a couple of hours in the boozer beforehand really does help the fact that you know you've got to go and suffer being in that stadium. But um, no, it's, it's good. It was a a struggle, I thought, on Saturday. Uh, I think a lot of that is down to um, the, the pitch, which was atrocious. Again, another thing that wasn't fit for purpose. Um, and I think we made it hard for ourselves at times as well. I think that the mistakes that we were making... Um, kind of let Kilmarnock back into the game at times and um, do you know what, it's just it's good that we're through um, we'll be back there uh, in a couple of weeks time for what will be a, a massive cup final um, and yeah, it's it's Green Monday let's enjoy it all and I, I was told by John Paul just before we came on air because we need to get the subscriber base up here as well Natasha we're only seven away from hitting our next milestone so if we can do that on air I mean, we always do it when we're on air. It's always me or you that's on air when we break these milestones. So let's keep this going. Give us another seven subscribers. Hit that like button and uh, celebrate the fact that we've made another cup final. Absolutely, Colin. I think we must be a winning combo. Um, So I'm sure we will get over that milestone while we're on together today. Thank you for everyone who's already commenting. Please keep them coming in. We'll get through them over the course of the show. And like Colin says, please do continue to subscribe so that we can hit that milestone throughout the course of of today. Now, Sean, it was a particularly cold game um, at Hamden on Saturday, I can tell you. Um, Colin has already touched on the fact it's a 5.30 kickoff, which, yes, is very enjoyable because I think we all needed those extra couple of drinks to keep us warm in that Hamden stadium. It wasn't the best game of football, really, was it? But I don't think the the pitch particularly helped that. I mean, with it Mm -hmm. turning into a bit of a a field, I think it in ways levelled the playing field, so to speak. Um, it certainly hindered the quick passing football that we like to see us play. Sean, give me your assessment of that game at Hamden. Well, first of all, the, the 5.30 kickoff was a nightmare for me because it meant it was 1.30 in the morning when the game started, which meant uh, doing the post-match, I got to bed about 4am, uh, by which point I'd been awake for about 22 hours. But I, I do actually fully sympathise with you guys because... Uh, when you do have those kind of afternoon games in Scotland, that comes in about 7.30, 8.30 down here in Perth, which means we can have a Saturday night out, 7.30 to watch the Celtic game. So uh, we, we kind of get that on a regular basis. So I guess you get to get it once a season. So we'll call it a trade. <laughs> uh, 
also in terms of I was doing the match day with Paul and he was saying, Oh, what do you think the conditions are, are going to affect it? And I was like, Well, Paul, it's 32 degrees here, so I don't and it's not <laughs> rained in a month, so I'm not really sure what it's like in Glasgow. Uh, and and as you say, it was it was quite a lot. Well, whether it was a level or not, I'm not sure, but it certainly killed uh, most attempts at playing football, uh, regardless of whether Kilmarnock would have attempted to in better conditions or not. Uh, the pitch is brutal. And, and look, this has actually now become like an annual tradition where whenever the League Cup semi-final rolls around, it's just getting cut up. I don't know what's going on. It, I think they maybe like have gigs on it or something and then they re-turf it and it just doesn't bed uh, in time for these games. In, in the past, I've always blamed Queen's Park, but that's not an option anymore for them. And Queen's Park are now going to have a beautiful Dezo surface uh, a couple of hundred metres away at Lesser Hamden. So I could see uh, the SFA asking to borrow that at times uh, once things start to move on. Yeah, whatever's going on with the pitch, it isn't right. Um, we can't have these showcase cup semi-finals and then finals played on a, a pitch that is not fit for purpose. And it's almost every manager has come out and spoken about the state of the pitch, not only Ange Postacoglu, Jim Goodwin then spoke about it the following day, saying, you know, even regardless of, of his team's result, the most disappointing thing was the way that the pitch turned into. You, Colin, you can't have games like this played on surfaces like that, can you? No. And um, there's a lot of people saying, well, what can you do? It's raining. Well, I mean, Scotland is a country to this, traditionally that is very wet. We get rain quite a lot. Um, we have to look at ways to um, accommodate that. I know the Celtic Park pitch isn't looking great at the moment either, um, but we can do things that like you can cover the park. You can, um, I mean, even some something just as simple as not maybe playing two games back to back on that. If you take a look at that pitch and the, the kind of the, the long range forecast would tell you that it's going to be very wet for a month or so, knowing that the park can't handle it, maybe just split it and have one at Hamden, one at uh, Murrayfield. It's just. You, you're right, this is showcasing Scottish football to the world. This is one of our Premier Cup competitions. And especially yesterday's game looks as if it was just getting played on a totty field. It was absolutely atrocious. Um, and again, we, I guess we were just kind of lucky to an extent that we actually got to play the Saturday game because if we were playing that game yesterday, it, there's every chance someone would have walked off with a bad injury. That's how bad that surface was. Yeah, it comes to a point that it's actually dangerous to play on it. And again, you can't have the, the best players in the country playing on a pitch that's actually dangerous because of the condition. Now, obviously, that has set up an, a final at the end of February where we'll be going back to Hamden and we'll be playing on that pitch again. That's not that far away. That pitch was in some state after 120 minutes of Rangers Aberdeen um, yesterday. Sean, surely there's a concern that it can't even recover by then? Uh, well, and it's not like it's going to get uh, much nice weather or many hours of sunlight between now and then. So I, I don't know what they're going to like. They, I think in the past they have actually just fully re-turfed it after the semi-finals, but it's just going to be the same. Like the day after the final, it will just be the same as it was uh, as today. So I'm not. I don't know how they can keep doing that. This is not a sustainable way. I, I don't know if it's time to just start having a bigger conversation about. Uh, just saying that this stadium is not fit for purpose and start to look at a new one, you know. Mm. Uh, we've got some ground nearby, Cathkin Park, that we could be looking at uh, expanding into or relocating. Uh, 
the whole thing too. I don't know, like maybe just make it a stadium for concerts because that seems to be the only thing that is actually useful for these days. And from what I've heard, this, the acoustics aren't very good for the concerts either. So I, I'm not even sure. It is, it's a bad stadium, to be honest. The, pro- the problem that you've got is there's normally enough time between these semi-finals and finals to relay a pitch. I think you need roughly somewhere between four to six weeks to properly relay it. It's less than four weeks into the final now. So there's no chance it's going to get relayed. So oh, no. whatever they're going to do with it is just going to be, um, it's going to need to be best can do. You want to get the best groundsmen across all of Scotland to work on it. I mean, people talk about putting a plastic pitch in. Plastic pitches aren't the, the answer either. I mean, Greenock is traditionally the wettest part of Scotland. And the pitch down here at Capelo, there's been a couple of times it's been called off for it being waterlogged. But apart from that, the guy, Mark Farrell, who's actually the groundsman here, he's won the best pitch in Scotland several times. And that's a testament to his work and what can be done on a small budget and on a pitch which probably gets the most amount of rain across Scotland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly needs something done. But moving away from the state of the pitch, which we're all very much in agreement on, and moving towards the players on the pitch, like I said at the top of the show, it wasn't. I don't think it was our best performance. I don't think we played particularly well, especially in the first half. But we got the job done, and that's the most important thing in the semi-final. There were there were a few performances I was pretty impressed with. I think I would single out Maeda. I think I would single out Aaron Moy. And I think even taking into account the last few games, both have looked outstanding since coming back from the World Cup. And it just shows what that experience has done for their confidence. And that's really translating into the way that they're they're playing at the moment. And they're both such assets for the squad that they're making themselves undroppable at this moment in time. Sean, I know that Maeda picked up the Man of the Match award over the course of the game, but was he your Man of the Match? Who particularly stood out for, for you on Saturday? Oh. Definitely for me, and he's uh, well on his way to picking up Player of the Month uh, for January, I would say. He's been absolutely firing since he came back from the World Cup. Uh, same with Adam Moy and Carter Vickers. We should probably have more, have more of those World Cups. They seem to do pretty well. We should send more of those our players on. They seem to come back in much better form than uh, they were before. It's quite, quite strange, because you kind of half expect them to come back fatigued, but I think that kind of change of scenery, that confidence, that uh, playing against other better quality opposition, you know. Uh, I think it was whatever Grandmaster Chess player said, you only get better by playing against people that are better than you. So I, I think that this has helped us, uh, particularly with the, the players that were at the World Cup, uh, notwithstanding uh, Juranovic, although he did uh, come back to form a little bit on uh, Sunday, uh, Saturday. He did, yeah. Colin, I was actually pretty impressed with Juranovic um, on Saturday. I had been disappointed with him previously when we, we played in the derby. I, obviously, he was playing out of position, but I wasn't impressed with him overall. He, he kind of changed my mind a bit on Saturday. I thought he looked committed again. I thought he looked good. I thought he looked back to, to being informed. And of course, that's going to be helped by playing in his natural position. Was he a standout for you at the weekend or, or would you have chosen a, a different man of the match? Um, Juranovic, I think, had a good game. Um, it was very much like the sort of Joseph Juranovic that we'd seen last season, um, where he was desperate to get forward. He looked as if he had that burst of pace to go on and be, get beyond the full-backs and get the, the ball over. Um, but you kind of highlighted that, I think, when you look at it. Um, Dyson Maeda since the World Cup, 
has been a revelation. And for me, I think he's someone who is a very confidence-based player. And the confidence that he's built up from playing in that World Cup has been unbelievable. The way he gets in there, um, we'll, we'll speak about the first goal in a second, but the, the, the goal that was ruled out um, for Kyogo being offside, the way he actually takes that finish is is unbelievable. He's getting himself into a position where he's closing defenders down a lot quicker now. His pace across the park is lightning. Um, and he's back to the Dyson Maeda that we saw last season. Not the one that kind of kicked off this year that everyone was saying he's not got that same impact. And I, I do think it is. It's a, a confidence-based thing with him. And for me, he was he was one of the standouts there on Saturday alongside Aaron Moy. And Aaron Moy is someone who I think has made a lot of people eat their words from the start of the season. Um, about his signing and what he could offer to the team. At the minute, for me, I, I couldn't drop him. Um, I was quite disappointed that he never played at Ibrox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he changed the game when he came on. So he, he is a, a very, very important player for us just now. And um, that experience is one of the reasons that we'll do well this year. Just having him, McGregor, uh, alongside Hatati and um, O'Reilly, that'll be key to us doing really really well this year um, and yeah I, I would say on a balance of play I would give it to Dyson Maeda um, and let's let's speak about the first goal Natasha who That's scores it. the first goal mm-hmm. who scores it who, who, who would you give it to if you were on the dubious goals panel <laughs> that's a goal for Maeda is it not yeah I, I don't know I think Considering everything that's going on, the fact that he was suspended for 10 games, the way that he hates certain types of people, I think it was a fantastic finish by Kyle Lafferty. You know what? I will give Dyson Maeda the goal. I'll give him credit where it's due, but I will commend Kyle Lafferty for the brilliant assist for it. So I'll give him the assist um, and I'll give Dyson Maeda the goal. He finds himself in the right place at the right time, doesn't he, Sean? And that's what he Mm. has been so good at recently, um, especially since he's come back from the World Cup, is that he just does always seem to be in the right place at the right time, and he was in the right place as Kyle Lafferty made a mess of his clearance and kicked it off Maidan into the net. Well, that particular trait of his is not uh, new in the sense that uh, if you look at the second half of last season, he scored quite uh, the, basically the vast majority of his goals uh, from kind of being in the right place at the right time, particularly at set pieces. We went through this patch in like February, March, April, I can't remember exact dates, where like every week or every second week, Maeda was uh, getting a, a tap in from a set piece after Carl Starfield had won a header. It was weird, like it, it just kept coming up. And it, it, as you say, it's just about him just being everywhere. Being, and, and I don't know, would you even, I mean, obviously everything we can say, that's bad about Kyle Lafferty, we'll find it and we'll see it. Uh, but do you, do you give him a little bit of football leeway in the sense that you don't expect someone to be there when you're trying to put the ball out of play at a set piece? And uh, my that just happens. I generally <laughs> look at the video, he's trying to put that in the top corner. No, no, he's trying to, he's trying to clear it, but it's just a feeble clearance. Um, and that's my head. I now match the number of goals he scored last season. But he arrived in January last year, right? So that's so I guess he's pretty consistent then. But that's him on seven goals for this season. Uh, so what's he going to finish on? I'm not sure. But he's definitely getting player of the month this year. And if he keeps it up, he's, uh, he'd be a shout for player of the year if he keeps this up between now and May. 
Yeah, I have to agree. And I want to, you mentioned it then, I want to come on and talk a bit about the finishing and the creation of chances because that's something that we have struggled with slightly recently, I think it might be fair to say. And I think it's something that gets brought up relatively regularly as the only thing you can use to criticise the Celtic sides is that we're perhaps not clinical enough in front of goals. So turning to the you know game there at, at Hamden, again, you, you look at, at the stats, we had 15 shots, four of which were on target. Now, on, on the other side of things, they had 14 shots and three on target. We did that with 75% of the possession, while they only had 25% of the possession. So they managed almost the same stats in terms of chances created and shots on goal with significantly less possession. What does that come down to, Colin, again? Was that down to them sitting deep, not giving us space, or are we not creating enough chances with the time that we do have on the ball? I think at times when you look at it, we're, we're playing um, against sort of 10, 11 men behind the ball and trying to break that down, especially on a pitch like that, with the conditions, is, is very difficult. Um, but there was times where Kilmarnock actually came out and had a go. And it does really surprise me with these teams when you look at it, if they come to Celtic Park, they're coming up against um, 11 players, uh, 57,000 Celtic fans, whatever it may be, um, and they just sit in for 90 minutes and hope to get the odd chance on the counter. Whereas Kilmarnock actually started the game very brightly. Mm-hmm. They came out, they had a goal, and they created a couple of chances in the first couple of minutes. And it's it's Hamden. It was, but it was a Celtic home game to an extent with the amount of Celtic fans that was there. There must have been at least 42,000, 43,000 Celtic fans there mm-hmm. um, for the capacity of what Hamden is. Because it was right behind the other goal as well at the at the Rangers end, so I don't understand the difference in this ninety minute game as opposed to a league game. If they can do that when they go to Hamden for a semi final, they could do that when they come to Celtic Park as well and play in a league game, and it would maybe make the games a lot more interesting. Um, and do you know what they they showed that they were millimeters away from scoring. I think it was the boy at the back post in the second half. Um, where the ball got played right across and he had an empty net and he hit the side netting. That, that's the difference between maybe getting uh, something in a game and like not. And you don't see that a lot of times. A lot of times they'll just sit in, sit in. As you said, again, 75% possession. That is typical of the way Celtic play football. But it wasn't as if um, Kilmarnock didn't have their opportunities and they didn't have a go at times. But they do that in a cup time, they don't do it at a league game. I, I, I'll never understand that mentality. Yeah, it's frustrating. The last thing you want to see as a football fan is a team come in and sit in and try and suffocate the game. It's not what we want to see. It's not the football that we like to go and see. But I do appreciate that for teams who are trying to come to Celtic Park and, and, and nick a point, that's the way that they're very often going to set up and we don't like it and it doesn't often even get the results. So I agree with you, Colin. I'd much rather see teams come out and, and have a bit of a go. Sean, just talking about chances created and things like that at Hamden, we, we can look at the goals that we scored and we have done so, but did Celtic really create very much other than that? Obviously, the, the two that we got ruled out for VAR, and we'll come on to talk about that too, but were we creating enough chances? Uh, well, no, the, up until... Uh, the 83rd minute, the Kilmarnock goalkeeper doesn't make a single save. Uh, so we'd had more goals denied by uh, VAR officials than we had by the Kilmarnock goalkeeper uh, to that point. Um, yeah, and in terms of the kind of Kilmarnock tactics, um, 
I wouldn't even call it commodity tactics, I call it Derek McInnes tactics. And if you look back over the last 10 years, he's got absolute form for <clears throat> for playing for draws in league games. Uh, but then he also has form for kind of pulling that kind of performance out in a cup game. So it wasn't overly surprising in that sense. Um, yeah, so it's very much a Derek McInnes tactic. But yeah, the lack of chances created... I'm not sure. Because as you said, Kamarnock and Derek McInnes again in his post-match said they, they were being very selective about when they would press uh, in the sense that you noticed a few times Starfelt and Carter Vickers were allowed to advance up until the, the final thirds without any kind of pressure. But then as soon as they passed to Hatati or whatever, there'd be two men immediately pressing on Hatati. So they were very much... Uh, they, they had. I thought they actually did have good tactics uh, Fair enough, it didn't work for them in the end. But as you said, even game in terms of chances, and we took ours, Kilmarnock didn't. And yeah, that's yeah, a little bit of credit to them. And, and also, the fact is that we have like one or two semi finals every season. Uh, the Kilmarnock players can't necessarily say the same thing. So they're going to be absolutely playing for their lives in the same way that we would in a European game, for example. So that's also a leveler as much as anything. Someone who did come on and take their chance, of course, was Georgius Giacomakis. Um, and I think if you had believed what the, the press wrote, he was already on a plane to Japan. So it was surprising to see him pop up at Hamden and grab his goal. But I think on that one, you have to go with Angie's philosophy. About 10% of what we read in the press is actually true. Giacomakis is a striker I like. Um, I think he offers something different to our other attacking players in terms of being this big physical presence up top. But equally, if he does want to go and this is the right time for him and for the club, then we don't want to hold on to him. But Colin, he certainly didn't look like a player who didn't want to be there at Hamden. He enjoyed his goal, he enjoyed the celebrations. Is there a way of keeping him or do you think he's all but out the door? I'm unsure. Um, As you say, it's very difficult when you see on social media, you see in the press that basically he's he's already in Japan, he's already settled, he's he's had his first... um, miso soup I mean <laughs> it's ridiculous how far down the line they can sort of make these things you take a look at that transfer for uh, Chelsea the other day from Mudrick I mean they basically already had him playing at the Emirates before he turns up at Chelsea so you've got to sort of take everything with a pinch of salt um, I think he was and has been over the last couple of weeks desperate to score a goal mm-hmm. absolutely desperate you saw it at the Kilmarnock game last Saturday um, at Celtic Park. Then you, you saw him when he comes off the bench. He is desperate to score a goal, and that's what strikers live off of. As I say, there's a lot of players in this team that are confidence-based players, and I think if you get Jack and Marcus in a run of games and he scores a couple of goals, you'll actually see um, him becoming that sort of player that we relied on for the best part of the second half of last season. I don't think necessarily he's out the door just now and I think Andrew's comments post-match really sort of doubled down on that to the point where he was focusing more on players coming in than players coming out. I don't think there's been a bid just now that would meet the requirement for Celtic to actually sit at the table and look at it. There may have been a couple of sort of interests from other clubs but as long as he's continuing to wear that number seven jersey and he continues to put the hoops on I want him to keep scoring. So, Absolutely. for me, I think we've got, what, 14 days left of the window, just a bit longer. I think we can continue to 
hopefully see him playing over the next couple of weeks. And when the window closes, I wouldn't be surprised to see him still here. I certainly hope so. And Sean, the figures that are being talked about for Jack Marcus aren't what I would hope that we would get for him because I don't think we would be able to replace him for the values that are, are being bandied around. Obviously, there has been some suggestions on his social media accounts. The egg timer photo did not go down well at the club. And then his, his recent photo was captioned, um, the photo of him celebrating was captioned, enjoy every moment like it's your last. Now that certainly speaks for itself, but in, a, in another comment he also said on to the final, so maybe he will still be here for the final. Sean, I'm interested in your take on, on Jack Marcus. Mm-hmm. Is he a player that you'd like to see stay here or is it time for him to, to move on? Oh, I'd like to. I'd like him to stay until at least the summer, and then uh, you know, like these guys are professionals; they need to make the most of their earnings in a short career. So, if the the stories about his salary being not necessarily uh, competitive with his teammates, then fine that fair fair play to the guy. But I, I don't want to be seeing someone coming in that doesn't know the system and uh, and having to go with that for the next four months. I'd rather keep him until the summer uh, if the numbers that are being talked about are accurate. Uh, and look, let's the numbers for him and Juranovic that are out in the press are a lot lower than we would all expect for players of their quality. And but then so are their salaries for players of that quality. So the only thing that I can uh, surmise from putting one plus one together is that they both have release clauses in that kind of region. Uh, because when you sign a player uh, on salaries that low, then the agent will invariably get a release clause that says, "Well, if you think our players." only worth that much money, then uh, you must then get that in as a release clause in his contract. And and that's the only thing that I can think of that makes sense. You tell look at it, Natasha. I mean, he's not someone who is shy when it comes to choosing his words. Mm-hmm. I mean, you tell look at him last season, going on about how Celtic were the best team, we were going to win the league, uh, we were going to do this, we were going to do that, we were going to do the next thing. And at the time, a lot of people were like, mm, he maybe shouldn't say that, but that just sums up the sort of personality he is. So if he knows that he's going to be staying or if he knows he's going to be leaving, I'm sure he wouldn't be too shy about it. I'm sure he would be telling you right away, right, I'm I'm gone or I'm here till the summer. And the fact that he stays on to the final maybe is a clue that he's going to hang around. We will find out. The one thing that you touched on there, though, is there is only, say, 14 days left of this transfer window. If Giacomacus is to move out the door, then we do need to replace him. Um, and it's frustrating to see a potential replacement um, in Cho from South Korea. Th- that transfer saga is rolling on and it looks like now I would say it looks like he's not coming. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this is one under Angie's tenure, which we're not used to. We're used to seeing business getting done quickly. It's not been protracted. It's not leaked to the press. The only similar situation was with Riley McGree and we went out and got Matt O'Reilly straight away, which turned out to be a great bit of business. The, the saga with Cho is rolling on. It's not filling me with confidence. Is it time to give up on that and focus on another striker? Because for me, Sean, I think regardless of the Giacomacus situation, I think it mm-hmm. would be prudent to bring in another striker. So if Giacomacus goes, if he stays, I still think we could do with that extra support up top in terms of having that really clinical goal scorer. So regardless of whether Giacomacus goes or stays, I think it's probably a position we're looking to strengthen in. If he goes, it's absolutely vital that we strengthen in that position. But this one seems to be rolling on a bit, doesn't it? 
I've not been overly worried up to this point because we've got Maeda as a third striker uh, in slash fifth winger, depending on, and having that kind of flexibility is allows us to, because you when you have too many players, it's hard to keep them happy, and that's why we had players like Odson Edward come in on, on loan as a third striker uh, back in the day. And, and apart from that, to be honest, we've kind of struggled. The only time we've had more than three strikers was when uh, we had Lennon playing two up top, so we'd have the four strikers at that point. Um, on in the squad, but even then, you wouldn't have a fifth. So, uh, it'd be the kind of Joy Dawson would be the next man up kind of thing. So, Ange, Ange was out today saying something. Was it today? Yesterday? I don't know. Time zones. Uh, in the press, he kind of put the board on notice, saying that he's expecting one more in this window, at least one more. He said. So I think he's calling them out, saying either get this done or get something done. So I don't know. When, he wasn't overly specific on what he wants, but he was very clear that he expects another one. Yeah, Colin, in the pursuit of a striker, people have been mentioning the options available to us in Scotland. Names that are getting mentioned are, of course, Nisbet and Shankland. Is that a market that you would go into? I know, obviously, our business model, one of the key strands of that is looking at the other top talent in Scotland and recruiting it for our Celtic side. Is Is that a market that you would look at? Is someone like... Kevin Nisbet good enough to make the step up to our squad? He's certainly scoring plenty of goals in the league. Or is that something that you would avoid? What's your take? I think for what you'd be quoted at from Hibs, I would probably not be looking down that um, aisle just now. Um, he's only got 18 months left on his deal, I believe. Um, so if you were that interested now, maybe take a look at it in the summer again. Um, for me, I think this opportunity now is to get someone in who's going to be potentially Jack and Marcus's replacement, and Kevin Nisbet wouldn't be that for me. Um, I think what you're looking at is trying to bring in someone of quality. Um, Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I would be really, really excited to look at the sort of market of players who are potentially coming into the last six months of their deals. And the player that I would be absolutely begging Celtic to go down and sign is Ben Breton Diaz from Blackburn. There's a guy that's only got six months left on his deal. He's done it for club and country. Um, he sort of suits the way that Celtic play football, coming in off the um, the left or the right or playing through the middle, can play in any of those positions. Um, and as I said, he's done it for his club and his country. So, if you could get someone like that on a pre-contract this summer, sorry, this winter, uh, and even maybe sort out a deal to get him up here for the last couple of months of the season, mm-hmm. I think that would be a great bit of business. 
I never really thought that we were 100% sold on um, the Boicho because it, it kind of smelled to me of deals of the past where we let the saga go on for quite a while and there was a, a sort of bidding process between teams. Um, the, the one that really stuck out to me was Albi Nayeti and how we sort of continued to go down that dark alleyway for a long time and then miss out on what would have potentially been maybe one of the best strikers we could have had at Celtic and Ivan Tony. So I, I think we have to learn from our mistakes in that sense. And if he's not interested, then start to look on and look at the, the market and bring in some some quality players for Europe next season. I think that's right, Colin. And we've got some comments coming in like this one from Pete saying that we need to up the quality to compete in Europe, suggesting that perhaps players like Nisbet or Shankland isn't up in that quality that we need to for me, that is a point I agree with, and I do think we need to be looking at a better standard of play if we are to make more of an impact in, in Europe, which I think we cannot go on and do. But my concern is if we are looking for this quality striker, at the moment, Kyogo is going to be a very hard man to displace, Sean. Jackie Marcus has found that out over the last few months, that when Kyogo is fit and ready to go, he starts. A lot of strikers, particularly a lot of quality strikers, are going to look for that reassurance that they are going to be starting games. Strikers want to start games, they want to score goals. And if we are looking to bring someone of quality in, and at the moment our position is we already have Kyogo, we already have Giacomacus, how many quality strikers are going to come in and at the moment look at being third choice or is it up to them to come in and see it as a challenge to to displace Giacomacus and Kyogo? Sean, it's, it's a difficult market to enter into for a striker. We found that out before. We've had a lot of failed experiments in the past. It's a difficult position to fill, isn't it? Oh, definitely, 100%. And, um, yeah, and look, Kyogo can play number 10. Uh, has done on the odd occasion as well. Uh, I wouldn't expect players like Jack and Marcus can't play multiple positions. But I totally agree with what you're saying about the quality because um, after what happened in the Champions League where we were missing all these chances, the, the question is not to bring in a third striker who's uh, poorer than Kyogo and Giacomacus, but good enough. We want someone that's better than Kyogo and Giacomacus. Uh, and look, if that means Kyogo and Giacomacus becoming unhappy, then so be it. We want, uh, we want a player, and Ange said the exact same thing yesterday, uh, we want to have better and better players coming in. Uh, and I was, uh, when, when Kyogo missed that chance against Aberdeen uh, in December, whenever it was, I was like, okay, I'm absolutely done with this uh, Kyogo experience in terms of uh, European football. We need, I love Kyogo, he's brilliant, 16 goals this year. Uh, he'll be competing for player of the year, but uh, if we want to com- compete in the Champions League, we should be should be looking to have someone with better quality than Kyogo uh, as a striker. I, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know how we do it. Uh, I'm sure, I'm, hopefully there are some people in the football world that are intelligent enough that can that can do that for us, but that's what we should be trying to do. That should be our target. Do you know, it's interesting when you look at that, Sean, because you think back to the last time Celtic were um, scoring goals in the Champions League um, and you look at who was playing up front, uh, I'll maybe go back to uh, like the, the Gordon Strachan era where it was guys like Venegur of Hesselink, Jerry Arashik, Scott McDonald who would pop up with the goals. Um, and for me, when you look at the quality that they bring, is Kyogo a better player than them? I would say he is. So I wonder how much of that comes down to maybe just a bit more experience at that level. 
I mean, we saw in the Europa League last year, he takes his goal really well against Venice Faros. Um, in the qualifiers, he did quite well. I think if you give him another season at it, I think he could easily pop up and score another couple of goals in Europe. I just think it's a, a learning process for him and a learning process for our players to find him because I watch the, the, the games and the amount of runs that he makes that never get picked up on. He's a, such an intelligent footballer that he's almost a level above some of the guys that were, he's playing alongside where he can see the runs before anyone else can and they, they don't get him to play him in. The, the goal I'm thinking of um, was the one quite recently where um, Hatati plays him in and it's at Easter Road and he's split the, the Hibs defence open so much that he's got so much time to pick his, his spot and put it away and you saw that sometimes last season I think of the right at the start of the season when him and Ryan Christie almost had a telepathic understanding of where they would find each other. But we don't see it that often and we don't see Celtic players, especially midfielders, taking that chance and just playing that sort of trickier ball through to him. They sort of tend to play the safe ball and I think that sort of limits the amount of opportunities that Kyogo gets. There's there's no question that... Sorry. Oh, you go, Sean. So I was going to say, there's no question that his, his... Outstanding talent is his off the ball movement, mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of doesn't get noticed as much. Uh, and I don't, I don't think it's because of what you're saying about our players not seeing it. I think it's because we're up against these low blocks all the time. But, mm-hmm. but in terms of what I'm saying about uh, increasing the quality, is what Kyogo is not good at is converting chances. Yeah, uh, he, he's bad at it, and like it gets, it gets washed over a lot of the times in in Scottish games, like uh, when he scored his first hat trick against. Oh, Dundee, yeah. I can't remember now. Yeah. Um, he'd actually he should have had six goals that day, yeah. like the chances that he missed. So, like, his his, conver- his chance conversion rate is bad, despite the fact that has he's one of he is potentially world class in terms of his off the ball movement. But, I think yeah. that's I think that's the yeah. thing. I think it does sound strange for us to be sitting here saying that the top goal scorer isn't clinical enough. <laughs> I think you need to take it a step further back than that. How many players playing in the position that Kyogo does for a club like Celtic who create the number of chances that we do and can do, how many players would also score that number of goals, if not more, given what we're saying about his lack of clinical finishing? So I think it is a very fair point that he has a lot of qualities, in particular his off-the-ball movement. But in terms of his finishing, it really isn't always there, Colin. No, it's it's not, but I do think... It is still something he can work on. I, I don't think he's the finished article necessarily, um, and I think oh, you, for me, he is one of those players, but that has shown that if you keep giving him the chances, he will score them. As you say, Sean, he, he should have had six that first game. I think that the the next game where he scores a hatchet, he could have done that as well. But then you take a look at performances like uh, at Tanadice earlier this season, where everything he touched seemed to go in the back of the net. So. I think, for me, Kyogo is one of these players that um, has the ability, maybe needs to work on his composure, maybe needs to work on a couple of things. But I would have said the exact same about Dyson Maeda last year. The amount of times that Maeda maybe found himself one-on-one and was putting the, the shots over or past the target, sometimes just that wee bit of confidence or a wee bit further in training, um, you, you get that wee bit more and you see the development of players. And I think... Even though, I mean, Kyogo's what now, 26? 
something like that. 27, yeah, 27, I, sure. yeah, I still think there's a bit of development in him to get into his prime, and hopefully over the next season or two we'll see that. Yeah, absolutely. Move. I want to move away from um, the game at the weekend because we do have a midweek game coming up, um, which is always nice because it gives us another point to talk about on our early midweek bulletins. Um, so, St Mirren on Wednesday night. We know that the games are coming um, really quick and fast at the moment. Ange has a very big and capable squad available to him. Colin, do you expect to see squad rotation news and in which positions? For me, I think there's a number of candidates that could be switched out for this game to give some of the other players a bit more game time and to, you know, really be utilising the squad to our benefit in a, a busy end to the January period. I think it's a game that I expect and to see Ange make a fair few changes in that. The game at Hamden can't have been easy. That's a heavy pitch. There's a lot of work to be put in. It's a big pitch. We know what the condition was like. A lot of players will have been feeling heavy legs the next day. Colin, I expect to see quite a few changes for Wednesday night. I don't think there'll be as many as what people will expect. I think a lot of the changes will come on Saturday at home to Morton. Um, I think we'll see the, the changes there. Um, but I do think certain players will be given the chance to get a run out on um, Wednesday night. I'd expect to see maybe players like Leela Bader come back into the squad. Um, I think he'll maybe come in. Maybe at the back we may see Juranovic come out and maybe Alistair Johnson come back in. Um, I would like to see Kobayashi, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure if Wednesday night is the time to, to throw him in. Um, I don't know whether I would do that against Morton or against St Mirren. It's good that we're getting the, the Renfrewshire teams out the road this week, um, getting St Mirren in, then uh, uh, Morton. I think Giacomakis, if he's still uh, here, if he's not on that plane to Japan, then <laughs> um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a start on Wednesday night as well. But I think it will be maybe three or four as opposed to maybe wholesale changes Um I think your wholesale changes will probably come against Morton at the weekend, where you'd like to see the likes of Benji Segrist get a chance and go. Um, as we say, the, the new signings, maybe Awata, if he's he's got his... I think we're still waiting on clearance for him. Is that why he wasn't on the bench at the weekend? Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that, I would be quite um, interested to see these guys getting a chance. But also in that tie against Morton on Saturday, I'd like to see guys like Rocco Vata... Um, getting the chance to come up maybe boss and low, um, just to be part of the squad for these games because we have to show that there is a, a pathway for these players. Um, and whereas Wednesday nights maybe the chance to rest guys like maybe Carter Vickers or um, uh, even Kyogo, I think on Saturday we should see some more wholesale changes. Yeah, I think you're probably right with that. And touching on the the B team players, particularly the two that you mentioned in Lowell and Vata. If Saturday's game isn't an opportunity for them to play, then I don't know what is. Um, if we are having the B team play in the same style of football that the first team are playing in to make this transition from B team to first team easier, then we need to actually make that transition happen by giving them some game time in the first team squad. Of course, you aren't going to disrupt the squad that we've got in terms of you know a very competitive league campaign and our cup campaign. You do understand why that is not always the opportunity to try and give those players their minutes. Firstly, because of the stability of the team. And secondly, because we need to nurture these players and use them properly rather than 
throwing them in the deep end or putting too much pressure on them. Surely a game like Greenock, Morton, Sean, with all due respect to that squad, is time for players from the B team to come in and have some minutes in the first team. I think the two that Colin mentioned are the two that you probably would think have the most chance of doing that. Um, having watched some of the B team games recently, they are the two standout performers. Is that something that you think that Andrew Dushon is, is used some of those players in that tie on Saturday? Uh, he hasn't doesn't have a, he's got some form for doing it in the past, but not massively. Uh, our history is littered with uh, games like Martin O'Neill rotating the squad and losing to Callie Thistle or Gordon Strachan putting Dewey in and getting humped by Clyde. So there, there's all these cautionary tales uh, that when you underestimate an opposition, that's what can happen to you. I think Kobe, I mean, he, he, but Postacoglu did say Kobe Ashi will get his chance at some point over the coming weeks. And if you're looking at the fixture list, a home game against Morton is, is surely your, your number one opportunity for something like that. And there's not too many other players on the fringes waiting for their chance. Uh, Kobe Ashi being one, uh, I don't know if I, I doubt Awata would be ready. Um, so that's who's the other one that's waiting to start? I've forgotten. Third player we said. Kobe Ashi. No, nah, but there's, there's, yeah, I don't, I don't think it'd be too many. I think Kobashi is probably the only one really that's going to be. I'd like to see Jack and Marcus get some more minutes over the next two games, and as, uh, as you mentioned there, uh, Abada should probably get back into the team. I reckon. Not sure where else would be making changes. The one, the one position that I wasn't particularly impressed in um, at Hamden was left back. I don't think mm-hmm. Burnaby had a particularly good game. Um, I don't think he was very effective going forward. I don't think he was very effective defensively. And he did give the ball away too often for my liking. Greg Taylor, I don't think is going to be ready to, to come back just yet. So Colin, does that leave us in the position that if we were to switch someone up, I think Burnaby would be a prime candidate for it? Or does he just need some more game time to get his confidence up? I think if you look at these two games, you'd say it's games where he can come in and uh, definitely get his confidence up. I, th- I think the, the home game against Kilmarnock, um, he had a fairly steady game. Um, he's had some decent performances so far this season. Uh, you take a look at what we have just done in the transfer market and allowing Adam Montgomery to go back out for the second half of this season. So obviously Andy's quite happy with his options that he's got at left back. Otherwise, you'd maybe have kept him for another week or two before sending him back out on loan. Um, so it may be that someone from the youth team, like uh, Amafi Anderson, steps up for the next couple of games and we see him on the bench. Um, or we just go with um, Burnaby and we just trust that giving him game time will help him adapt to the, to the style of football that we play. Um, Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. 
Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. When you look at it, I don't think Greg Taylor's that far away. I think we said a couple of weeks ago he was two to three weeks away, so don't be surprised to see him back in the training very soon. Um, and he'll be a, a great asset when he's back in the, the squad because, for me, he's been one of our players of the season so far, uh, if not the player of the season. So maybe games like this will be Bernabe's chance to sort of say, it's my jersey, Greg, you've got to come and get it off me. Um, but if he doesn't put the performances in, then you can see Greg Taylor walking straight back into the team. Yeah, Sean, that's something I agree with as well. I think just touching on Greg Taylor, I don't think he's had a bad game for us this season. He's very, very consistent and his performance levels just seem to be getting better and better. I think losing him um, when he had to go off injured was a real catalyst in that game for us losing control of the game. Um, And I think he has been a real loss. Interestingly, um, when I was having this discussion with people recently, someone that was being touted for a slot at left back was Hatati. Now, for me, I think we would really miss him in the middle of the park. I think he's so effective there in a more natural position. But we saw him play relatively well at right back. And apparently for, for his previous team, he did play a few games at left back. Sean, could you see Ange doing anything like that and, and having his hatty slot into a left back slot until Greg Taylor returns to fitness? Uh, not ahead of Bernabe, no. Uh, as, as you said, it's uh, relatively, played relatively well at right back. What he didn't do so well was defend. Uh, he was great as an offensive uh, fullback, uh, which is kind of the problem we have with Bernabe on the other side. He's a very offensive minded player, uh, almost like a winger that's converted to a fullback. Uh, so you'd just be getting the same problems as you would, uh, making, except you'd have a, a right-footed player over there instead of a left-footed one. So no, I don't really see that, to be honest, as a viable option unless there's some desperation with injuries. Um, when Liam, Liam Scales played there before, I don't see him going back in there. He seems to be a centre-back now. I'd be more interested in when Liam Scales comes back to see him as the maybe challenging getting in ahead of Starfelt because he's actually had a really good shift at left centre-back for Aberdeen uh, in recent mm. weeks. I thought he was um, actually particularly good yesterday, Colin. I don't mm-hmm. know if you caught any of that game, but I thought Scales yeah. did have a, a very good game, even despite getting a slight hit to the face, didn't he? <laughs> I know that that player's not got previous for throwing his arms about either. Um, but no, he's he's played really well. I think speaking with the likes of um, Glenn Schroeder from Red Tinted Glasses, uh, the Aberdeen podcast, they really miss him when he's out of the team, especially when they come up against us because they've got to really shuffle that whole back line about. And you've seen the rest of the defenders that he's playing alongside, some of them are iffy at best, like Anthony Stewart. I mean... I've, he's their captain and honestly we'd get nowhere near any other team in Scotland I think he's absolutely dreadful um, but Scales is really helping them in there um, everyone kept going on about it. if you give Scales a chance you'll see the best of him and this loan spell could be the making of him as, you, as Sean says he might come in there he might challenge Starfelt he might be the third or fourth choice centre back we don't know I mean Jens has totally disappeared from the face of planet Earth over the last couple of weeks. So there might have been a shot from if we could have called him back for the second half of the season, but um, just continue to give him game time. And I think that's where 
I'm still at with Stephen Welsh as well. I think if you're going to develop, you've got to be playing week in, week out. You've seen what it can do for players. Ryan Christie did at Aberdeen. Um, Scales is doing it up there. You've got to be playing week in and week out to actually develop as a player. And um, before the end of this window, I would see Stephen Welsh out the door as well. I think so too, Sean. I think the difficult thing for someone like Stephen Welsh is deciding whether that is going to be a loan move or whether that's going to be a permanent move. He only has to look at the players ahead of him at the moment. You know, now we have obviously Carter Vickers and Starfelt are immovable in terms of, of what they're doing. But then Jens is sitting in the background. Kobayashi's now coming in as well. Welsh is far down the pecking order. Obviously, we don't know if we're going to keep Jens by the end of the time the end of the season comes. I think before we signed Kobayashi, I think retaining Jens would have been a no-brainer. But now I'm not sure that the player himself would particularly see this as a strong move if he's getting offered guaranteed first-team football somewhere else. But for Stephen Welsh, he's, he's not that young anymore. He needs game time. He needs to be going out, like Colin said, and getting consistent game time somewhere whether that would benefit from a loan move or whether it's time to be a permanent move, I think remains to be seen. But uh, I think he's someone that's going to move somewhere in this transfer window, isn't he? I reckon there's a bit more quality in the reserve team with uh, Lawal and Dane mm-hmm. Murray's potentials. Uh, we have to also remember, uh, I think Stephen Welsh is turning 23 this week, so mm. he's hardly a kid anymore. He may well be an experience, but it's not. he's not a youthful inexperience. Uh, is he going to cut it? doubt it. He's certainly not going to cut it at cha- I doubt he'll cut it at Champions League level maybe in Scotland. I still have my doubts about him playing in Scotland to be honest uh, but may- I hope he goes to someone like Hibs, plays every week and proves me wrong and becomes a, a captain for the Scottish national team but I- I've just, I-, I feel like we're at a point now where he's not going to do it at Celtic. He's only one year younger than Tony Ralston and Tony- and we all thought Tony Ralston was past his opportunity when he actually eventually took it so I think Lavo and Murray would be the ones I'd be looking at, and Stephen Welsh can go. And I, I don't want to be too harsh on him. Like he's had some good games, scored some good goals, but I just don't think he's the quality we need. No, I agree. I think Colin. I think we have to look at it. I think there is potential. There is a lot more potential in a player like Lavo than there is in a player like Stephen Welsh. I think. Lavelle's at the age and the stage of his career where he has a lot more developing to do, he's a lot more growing to do as a player and I think if I was looking at both of them, he's probably the one I'm more excited about in terms of having a potential impact on the first team squad at some point in the future Yeah definitely, when you look at it um, if you compare them both at the stage of the development when they are sort of Lavelle's age then Stephen Welsh wasn't even considered as maybe part of Celtic's future. He was playing for the reserve team. wasn't even a, a sort of starter every week for the reserve team. Um, he made his loan move out to Greenock Morton, where he played a lot of his games at right back. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't even playing centre half. Um, then obviously he gets recalled due to the injury problems that we had. He plays that game against Hamilton. Um, and then the initial thought was, well, certainly from Jim Duffy, who was a Morton manager at the time, was he'd play these two games because we were waiting on a couple of players coming back from injury and then he would go back out on loan to Morton. But he stayed in and around the first team ever since, which is, to be fair, a credit to him. Um, he was, at one point, one of the only defenders we could rely upon. 
Um, and I don't know what that says for our defence at that point. Um, but that he was getting games ahead of the likes of Shane Duffy um, and players like that. So, um, look, he was... He sort of filled a gap for us. I think he kind of compared him slightly to someone like Josh Thompson, who came in out of the blue and sort of he stood out for a couple of games, but he just knew he wasn't going to make it. And eventually players like that get replaced. And I think Welsh, if he wants to have a career at Celtic, would probably need to go on loan for a full season um, to get all those games under his belt. Um, and then come back and maybe be contending for that third or fourth place um, in the centre-halves. For me, he could have a career like Darren Adi at Celtic. Um, but I think from the amount of games we've seen him play, he's not going to make that level up to be your number one choice centre-back for Celtic, I don't think. No, it doesn't seem to look like it. Moving away slightly from the the men's team, it was also a great weekend for the Celtic women's team. They had a very convincing 8-0 win against Glasgow women, a team who have struggled this season and find themselves at the bottom of the league without a win so far. Obviously, we've seen recently that Celtic did just lose our, our top goal scorer this transfer window in Clarissa Larissi, but we've now got Amy Gallagher who's stepping up to the plate. She grabbed another four goals at the weekend following up on the, the hat-trick she scored against Falkirk in the cup game the previous Weekend, So a great result in terms of that fixture, but importantly, in terms of the title race, Rangers women did not win this weekend. They drew 0-0 with Hearts, and it is very rare, Colin, I know you follow the women's game, it is very rare for one of the top three to drop points to anyone outside the other teams in the top three. It hasn't happened all season so far, so this was a very surprising result. The impact on the table is that Celtic now overtake Rangers, Glasgow City still top three points clear, but Celtic do play them at home again in a few weeks' time. So a good position for the women's team to be in, and it's great not only to see Celtic um, men's team doing so well, but our women's team to be pushing for that title as well, isn't it, Colin? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, fair play to to Amy Gallagher stepping up into um, filling those um, big boots that were left behind from uh, Clarissa Sorry, Cl- Cl- oh my, I said this last week as well. <laughs> Clarissa Larissy, sorry. Um, and did we ever get the confirmed that that is the record transfer for Scottish football now? That's, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. I mean, um, I think you can look at that now as we can maybe develop that as a pathway for players that are coming into to Scottish football that might see Celtic as an opportunity to get into the, the continent where the wages out there are ridiculous for um, women's football that some of them are out paying um, the the men's teams here in Scotland so um, it's great for her, great for the development of women's football here in Scotland 8-0 again as you say Glasgow women haven't been doing too well this season, it was all part of that expansion where we saw a couple of teams move up from Division 2 to the, the main division um, and they were always going to be the sort of whipping teams of, of that um, league, unfortunately. But again, it'll be good for their development as well. You maybe see some players go on loan uh, to them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, another great performance. And um, Caitlin Hayes, she loves scoring a header, doesn't she? I mean, I remember interviewing her a couple of years ago when um, it was another very close title race. And um, I can't remember who it was. Um 
who was it saying? I can't remember, but basically said she would heat her own granny to score a goal. Um, and that seems to be the, the way it is. And it's great to see these um, players still in and around the, the squad. I think the work that Fran Alonso's done has been fantastic. Um, and hopefully uh, it's another push towards the title this year and another bat, another uh, crack at European football next year as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like you touched on, Caitlin Hayes has been fantastic this season. That's two headers in two games. And it is great to see the goals coming from all over the pitch. Um, obviously, she's a defender. It's great to see the goals coming up from all over the pitch, particularly when you lose your top goal scorer. David Pitt comes in in the comments and said, do you think Amy Gallagher will be a direct replacement for Larissa now or will we look to buy a new striker? I haven't spoke to Fran about this over the, the last few days. Um, yeah, the plan very much is to reinvest the money that we got for Larissa um, and bring in two new players. I think one of them will be another striker. So, again, it's it's part of the business model. You know, we bring players in, we help develop them, and then they move on to what is at the moment bigger leagues with bigger salaries. Um, and then we use that money to reinvest in our squad. So I'm sure we'll see that happen over the coming weeks. Um, the women's next game, unfortunately, clashes with the men's game. Their next tie is against um, Motherwell on Wednesday night. But after that, they'll be back um, at home to Partick Thistle on Sunday at the Excelsior Stadium. If anyone's getting interested and wants to go along and support the girls there, it's always a good day at the Excelsior Stadium. The girls play some really good football and they're always very appreciative of the fans going along to support Sean, talking about Wednesday night, before we, we sign off, um, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you for your Wednesday night prediction for the men's game. <clears throat> Sorry, I know we're running over, but could I just mention something about the women's game scheduling? Of course. Uh, just while we're on it. Uh, what we do here in Perth is, obviously not right now because we've got our stadium renovation, but what they normally do is they put the women's game on immediately before the men's game. So you can go to the stadium and get a beer and watch the women's game, and then the men's game follows immediately after that. Uh, and what you're talking about there, the games literally clashing at different stadiums is absolute madness to me. Uh, and I believe we've also got a clash coming up with uh, Celtic Rangers women playing the same day Celtic Rangers Cup final. Uh, why not stick at Celtic Park and then uh, give people the beam back at the Cup final immediately after the women play? Just an idea. If you feel like you could sell a few thousand tickets doing that. I love the idea um, and I don't think that those games will end up clashing. I think there will be a movement there to avoid mm -hmm. that, which is, is good. Unfortunately, the one um, on Wednesday night has been a rearranged one from just before Christmas um, mm -hmm. when it was called off because of the weather conditions and this is the only slot that, that Motherwell could do, which has resulted in this really unfortunate clash. In terms of the women's team playing at Celtic Park, I know that's something that I would love to see more of. I know it's something that Fran and the girls would love to see more of. Um, and equally, we have to take care of the pitch to make sure that the men's team have the best possible surface to play on. So I know it's very much a, a balance of these few things. But yeah, it's great to see more people getting involved and more people supporting the the women's team. Um, and hopefully we'll you know, have another win on Wednesday night and then follow up that at the Excelsior Stadium on Sunday Guys, I'm going to put you on the spot again just before we go. So, Sean, your prediction for the men's game on Wednesday night. So, Jim Goodwin always absolutely parks the bus when he comes to Celtic Park. Uh, sorry, not Jim Goodwin. <laughs> uh, Stephen, Stephen Robinson. Robinson. Stephen Robinson. Uh, so, I'd, I'd say it will be tight for... Yeah, I reckon we won't even score for the first hour and I, I think it will probably finish 2-0 Celtic. I'm going to be more optimistic. I'm thinking we're going to get an early goal. 
I'm going to give him a doing. I'm going for 4-0. Well, I very much like Colin's prediction there. We are over time now, so... All that's left to say is thank you very much to Colin and Sean for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. Thank you for everyone who has continued to comment. We appreciate all your input. Please do remember and subscribe as we look to hit that next milestone. And obviously, like we touched on at the top of the show, Frank McGarvey's funeral is currently taking place. So all of our acts, all of our West Wishes are with his family. But thank you for everyone for listening and joining us on A Celtic State of Mind. and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's E-A-S-Y to 203203. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet but if their internet comes from a cell phone network you should know it's just phone internet not home internet keep your home up to speed with cox cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5g home internet cox is the real home internet you're looking for Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas visit cox.com internet for details Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.